Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Listening to Passions and Prologues, a literary podcast where each week I'll interview a different author about a thing they love and how it inspires their work. My name is Adam Sokol, your host, and as I like to say, hey nerds, how you doing? If you've enjoyed the first few episodes of the show and are coming back, good to see you, good to hear from you, good to be heard. And if this is the first time you're listening to the show, thank you for joining. I promise you this is going to be different than any other literary podcast you've ever heard so far. This is a new podcast, so if you are enjoying what you're hearing, if you don't mind leaving us a quick five-star rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts, whether it be Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or anywhere else, uh, if you send me a screenshot of your review to passionsandprologues at gmail.com, I will respond by giving you a personalized book recommendation. Today's episode is with the wonderful author, Kaylin Bayron, who you may know as the best-selling YA author of Cinderella is Dead and This Poison Heart. She has a couple other books coming out that we talk about a little bit later in the show, including This Wicked Fate and The Vanquishers. Kaylin is an absolute blast to chat with, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But before we do, I want to tell you a little bit about a book that I am currently loving right now, The Violin Conspiracy by Brendan Slocum. I came out this year, uh, earlier this year, and it's really, really interesting. The main character's name is Raekwon McMillan, and he is a black classical musician who at the very, very beginning of the book, this is not a spoiler, he uh, loses his priceless violin that he uses to play in all of these different prestigious musical competitions and the book basically it starts with him losing and you know having this violin get stolen and then it jumps back in time to when he was a kid and how he discovered this this very specific violin and how it was his great great grandfather's and um, just sort of all the different things he has to overcome Uh, growing up black in rural North Carolina and how he overcomes all these things to become this incredible musician and then ending up having to try to track down this violin that he loses. So I am kind of just starting it. I'm about, I think, a third of the way through the book, but so far I am absolutely riveted. So that is something that I am really, really loving right now. And this will make a little bit more sense as soon as we get into our conversation with Kaylin. But I'm just going to say as a thing that I will recommend that I also love. If you have streaming services, whether it's Amazon Prime or Netflix or uh, any of those different things, try to find The Wiz. If you have never seen The Wiz, uh, it came out in October of 1978, and it is an incredible spin on The Wizard of Oz uh, with an all-African-American cast. We talk a little bit about it uh, in 
this particular episode of the podcast. But if you've never seen The Wiz and don't know what I'm talking about, look it up. At the very, very least, listen to the song Ease On Down The Road. I promise you that you will love it. That's just about all the housekeeping. Again, if you have any feedback or if you want to get a book recommendation from me, you can always send us feedback at passionsandprologues at gmail.com. Or again, just screenshot any reviews that you leave us and send those to me at the same email and I'll give you some book recommendations. I'm not going to keep you here in this introduction any longer. Let's get into my wonderful conversation with Kaylin Bayron on Passions and Prologues. Things so we can just kind of like dive into it and and how I'm having people start this is just, I'm just going to let you tell me and the listeners like what is the thing you're super geeky and passionate about that we're going to talk about today. I love musical theater and I mean music in general but especially musical theater specifically the Phantom of the Opera. I'm a little obsessed. I always have been. Musical theater and opera which it's kind of like fan of the opera. It's like this perfect marriage of right. of all the things that I that I really love. So Phantom was actually that was the first like musical thing I remember ever seeing. I was like super little and I'll get into my story about it after we let you talk about the stuff. But, like when did you first discover and we can start with Phantom because I feel like that is very much like a musical gateway drug for people. It is. It is. So and just like as a disclaimer, I have yet to see it live. I'm this obsessed. I'm a little scared to actually go and see it live because I feel like it's going to like wreck my life. Like I'm just going to be so (laughs) like, I'm so obsessed already. I grew up in Anchorage, Alaska, and there's not a ton of like shows coming through. For me, I was about, I want to say I was maybe like 10. And my neighbor, uh, neighbor girl, uh, she was in high school and she used Mm -hmm. to babysit me. She was babysitting and she, they had done like a field trip or something to the Performing Arts Center in Anchorage and they saw Phantom and she, she became like super obsessed with it. So one time when she's babysitting me, she had the CD, Uh, Mm -hmm. she had the soundtrack and she put it on. And so I was 10. I felt like I can literally, like I'm, as I'm thinking about it, like I'm literally like reliving that moment. I can remember it so clearly. It it went like into my freaking soul. Like, <laughs> like I'm not trying to be dramatic. Like it really affected me. I was mm-hmm. like, what is this? I'd never really, uh, I'd never really heard anything like that before. I became obsessed. I was staying with my aunt Wendy at the time and she bought me the CD. I played it nonstop and I was 10 None of my friends understood what I was listening to. They were like, what are we doing? Why are you listening to this? Like, why are you obsessed with this? They were just like mad and confused. That was kind of where it started for me. Yeah. Um, and it changed my life. Like it, it influenced what I went on to study in college and music just kind of dominates my life. It always has. So, mm-hmm. so that's kind of where it started for me. Yeah. So I can actually remember, I I think I was like five or six, but my family, I'm, I live in like just outside of Cleveland, Ohio. And I kind of grew up in this area. And we, a little known fact about Cleveland is we have outside of New York city, we have the largest theater district in the country. Like people don't realize that about Cleveland. And Mm -hmm. so now as a, as a theater goer, now as an adult, like we get first run everything. Like we got Hamilton right after it left New York. 
Um, like yeah. their their season this year has uh, Hades Town and like all these things uh. that everyone wants to see are they come to Cleveland, which is great. But when I was like five or six, my parents took off me and my three siblings to Toronto to see Phantom of the Opera and like we were not like a family of means or anything. Like, we never, I don't know why I, to this day, I, I probably asked my mom, like, why did we go? Like, did we get why were we there? Yeah. Did we win a radio contest. I don't know why we were there, but we were, I think I was like five or six. And at the time like, we saw Phantom. That was the first, like my first ever experience with a musical of any kind. And I, to this day, she reminds me of this because I love theater now, but I leaned over to her as like a five-year-old and I was like, Hey mom, when are they going to stop singing? Cause I, <laughs> I didn't understand what we were doing. <laughs> right. I just had no concept. But so like, I remember seeing it then and it kind of stuck with me. And it was, that was one of the musicals where like my mom, when she was like cleaning on a Sunday, it would play, you know, our house. And I gradually grew to love it as a five, like I said, as a five-year-old, I just didn't understand. I, that was the f- same thing for me. That was my first real interaction to theater. And then like my siblings loved like rent and so like we would kind of like it sort of like blossomed out from there and like Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat and stuff but it, it started with Phantom for me too so like for you you said it kind of affected what you studied in college and everything like what was it you, know, you said it kind of like entered your soul like do you think there was now looking back on it something particular about just how different it was or the lyrics or like the music and I'm trying to think. So I, I'm pretty sure that the first song that was playing was Wishing You Were Somehow Here Again. Mm-hmm. And I just I just remember almost being sad. It was just emotional. It, I, and at the time, I don't really think that I had the kind of language for it. But I feel like it was it was emotional and it was just so different. And mm-hmm. so when I when I heard it, I just I think I was, there was just this kind of curiosity that was peaked in mm-hmm. me. And then from there, it kind of opened up, like you said, it's kind of this gateway to everything else. You know, I, I told my parents and they took me, I saw Sweeney Todd with way too young, but I saw Sweeney Todd. <laughs> and I think that there are just these kinds of musical references that, that when I was a kid, so Annie was like on repeat in my house, the Wizard of Oz, the Wiz. Um, all of these things were just kind of a part of my very young childhood. And then when I found, when I discovered Phantom, it was kind of like, this is like a, like a culmination of all these things that I love because I was obsessed with music in general. So I really just think it was something in me that I don't know. It just kind of like when you discover something that you just absolutely love and you feel Mm -hmm. like, oh, this is going to be a part of my life forever, no matter what, that's kind of what that moment was for me. And then I over time, you know, I saw there was a movie before the movie that came out in like 2004 with Gerard Butler or whatever. There was another version that I saw at some point much, much earlier than that. And then, of course, there's like a black and white. There's like a 1925 version. Yeah. A film version, um, which is much more like a horror movie, mm-hmm. um, which, of course, I love because I love scary stories. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it was just, oh, my gosh, it was just a kind of a combination of of all these things. And then as I got older, it was something that I came back to just again and again and again. And like I said, I decided to study a classical vocal performance in college. You know, I'm still obsessed. I'm still obsessed to this day. Just recently, like read the book, Phantom of the Opera is based on a book by a French author and Gaston Leroux. And yeah, I, I finally read that. Yeah. And I love the book. 
Mm-hmm. I love the book too. Like it's, you know, it, it's told in such a way that kind of makes you feel like the author is telling you that this is a real thing that happened. And mm-hmm. so it makes you feel very much like it's this kind of horror story slash detective story slash love story. Yeah. I love the book too. So yeah, I'm, I, I remain obsessed to this day. Well, yeah. And I think like one of the things that I started to pick up on, I definitely, definitely not as a five-year-old, as a five-year-old, I was just like, when can I go to the bathroom and not be sitting in, <laughs> yes. in the theater anymore? But like the more it's, I've, I have, I've been really fortunate to see it. Um, I've seen it in Cleveland a bunch. I saw it in Las Vegas when like they had a dedicated theater in Las Vegas. So like when the chandelier would come down and they would do all these different moments in the, in the musical that like on a production that is like a touring production. It looks amazing, but in a theater that's built for the show, like stuff just happens. It's amazing. And there'd be like these little moments where like, we're talking about like wishing you were somehow near here with me. Like that's, I think that's like the end of act one. I think it's the very end of act one at the end of that song. Like the Phantom is like kind of watching what was happening in the graveyard people who haven't seen phantom they're like what are you talking about adam just stick with me and like but he has this moment where he kind of goes to like five different emotions where he's like upset and depressed and sad about everything and then he gets angry and then that's kind mm-hmm. of when like the plot takes off and i just like i feel like there's so much nuance in that one moment where like even me as a person and like as i was like a teenager i'm like oh my god like that there's so much in this singular moment yes storytelling Yes. And it's, and and I think that's the thing. And I think that Andrew Lloyd Webber himself even says, um, there's a documentary, I think it's called Behind the Mask, Mm -hmm. um, that I've watched a million times, um, just about how the production came to be. And I, and in that Andrew Lloyd Webber even says that this story just has so many different elements to it. It's Mm -hmm. this kind of tragedy, but it's also a love story, which it's a whole other thing because I just think it's hilarious, not hilarious, but I just think it's funny that, you know, you have this story and everybody's really obsessed with the Phantom and mm-hmm. his kind of mysterious, charismatic thing. And all I think about when I see him is just like, sir, like you live in the sewer, you are stalking Christine, like, please, you are not hot. Like, this is not it. <laughs> so it's just, it's just funny to me, but it's like, yeah, it has all these different elements to it and it's just so compelling it's like you can't you can't help but kind of be drawn in by it mm-hmm. so so talk to me a little bit about like we, we were talking about studying in college like how does one get that because that's a very it sounds, seems like a very unique and like specialized type of a course of study like walk me through that was it like from a p- performance standpoint or like a studying standpoint I I did not know this about you yeah, it's a little bit of both. I, I mean, I, I did it specifically because I wanted to perform. I And and that's still something, um, you know, I still sing quite often. I still have a vocal coach. I still, but I have um, terrible stage fright. Awful. Like, you know, it's so funny. I'm like, oh, I can do this. This is, I feel like I'm good at it. I could do this. And then I'm, and then I have Hello, anxiety. Like I, (laughs) you know, one of the things that being a writer has really helped me with because they don't tell you when you write books and, you know, you're going to have to go out and talk to people like Mm -hmm. face to face. You're going to have to get over that kind of, I think a lot of writers are introverts. And so you kind of have to learn to talk to people and put yourself out there and be in front of crowds. And Mm -hmm. it's really helped me confront that that Mm -hmm. kind of stage fright, that kind of anxiety. And 
I don't know. I feel like it's opening other doors for me, even at my kind of big age. You know, it's it's because it's something I never really gave up. I, I studied in college. I and then, you know, life kind of happened and I ended up doing other things. But it's always been there for me. And I think how you kind of come into that, I think you just have to be you just have to have a love of music mm-hmm. and performance and the stage. And that kind of thing is just it's just kind of within me. And I think back on the things that I loved as a kid, like I said, Annie, The Wizard of Oz, The Wiz, but there are so many references to opera in pop culture all the time. Um, Mm -hmm. And when I was a kid, there's, there's a scene in Beetlejuice, which which is one of my favorite movies ever that has a song from Lucia de Lammermoor, which is my, one of my favorite operas. There's a song there. Also the fifth element, which is another favorite movie of mine. And, the diva, you know, during her performance, the, those opening lines are from a real aria, again, from Lucia. You know, that that song, that's one of the most memorable scenes in that entire movie. And people sometimes think that it was just for the movie. But no, that that beginning part of the, that mm-hmm. performance is from a real opera. There's a scene in The Witches of Eastwick, which is another favorite movie of mine, where they're in the ballroom with the balloons and they're mm-hmm. dancing around. Puccini's Sundorma is is being sung in the background and even and even now Avengers Age of Ultron there's a scene where they're on like the jet or whatever mm-hmm. and Maria Callas is singing Casta Diva from Norma in the yeah. background like the these little things are throughout all these pop culture references and I was surrounded with them and I was always drawn to those types of things mm-hmm. um like I said those are some of my favorite movies ever so it's always just kind of been there it's always kind of been for me. And mm-hmm. I feel like, I don't know, it feels like a very kind of magical thing for me. And now I'm a writer, but you know, these, these references kind of make their way into my work uh-huh. all the time. I'm discovering new things all the time. There's references to Hamilton and Hadestown in, in my work. And yeah, I just, I just think it's a very kind of magical, fun thing. Yeah. And I know what you mean. Like I speaking of magical, like I, I did theater in high school. I am nowhere. I'm not a professional singer in the slightest. I may, I might have a little bit of comedic timing, if anything. That is it. <laughs> I just did it because I went to a small school where I was, I like, I went to the type of school where like I was a captain of the football and baseball team. And I could also play like one of the secondary leads, not okay. because, of talent of myself, <laughs> because I graduated with 47 people and they're just like, you can sing a little bit. You're going to be in Joseph. Like they just, they just <laughs> yes. have people. I know what you mean about like those magical moments because I still remember to this day, like I always loved like as a teenager, I, I knew that I loved musical theater, but then when I was a part of it, like you would do these rehearsals and you'd be backstage. And there are these like moments when you're in the cast that you feel like you're experiencing something that no one else can see. But then when you're in the, like when you're in a theater, an area that is designed for this like singular thing and you're sitting there and, you know, whether it's something like Hamilton or Dear, Dear Evan Hansen and there's, you know, 4,000 people in the crowd or, you're watching like a community theater version of The Wiz, like whatever it is, there's this moment where no matter what happens that night, like it's the only time it's ever going to be performed that way. Like, right. It, and I just, I've always loved that. And I've always been able to not only appreciate how unique it is, but also like watching a person and knowing inherently, even though like I'm, I'm watching this, I, I'm in the story, but watching this person, 
person who I know is performing this thing eight times a week and they're sobbing and then they're laughing and then they're, and I'm like, they are able to do this. And like, I don't know. I just, I know what you mean about that. I feel like there's this magical moment that you can only get in theater. Yeah. And it happens like all the time. It's one of those things where it's just like, it just, I I feel so kind of personally affected by it every time. And it doesn't, Mm -hmm. like you said, because every performance is, every performance is unique. I remember uh, sitting with my family. uh, We saw Wicked. I got to see it in San Antonio Mm -hmm. uh, when they came through there. And I remember we were sitting in like the nosebleeds. It was literally like all the way up in the back, but Uh like the this moment you know when Elphaba is on her broom and she's kind of flying and she's you know and it's just like I'm you know I'm a grown woman and I'm watching this and I am crying Uh like I'm bawling my eyes out because it's just I don't it's just such a visceral kind of experience like it really is just amazing and there I know people who go to the theater and that doesn't happen for them yeah. And so, I, you know, which is fine, but I'm just like, for me, it, it really is this like transformative experience every time. Oh yeah. 100. I actually, I remember this school that I went to, my three older siblings also went there. And even though it's a really small school, it had like a beautiful theater. It had no business having the auditorium that it did, but it was wonderful. <laughs> and one of my sister's classes did Godspell and her friend, like her best friend, Taylor, who would come over to our house. And he was like a big brother to me. He was such like a cool, like he was who I wanted to be as a high schooler when I was in middle school. Cause I was like, he cares about me as a sixth grader. <laughs> but like he, he played Jesus and like at the end, spoiler alert for Godspell or the Bible, I guess, but Jesus right. <laughs> and like, I remember sobbing, even though I knew that it was like my sister's friend and he was going to be okay. Like I was just a wreck to the point where like after the show, he's like getting all of his accolades, like quite literally getting his flowers. And he like saw me and like came over and talked to me because I was still just like a gross mess. And he's like, Hey Adam, I'm, I'm okay. And like, I feel like I realized like in the coming like weeks, I was like, Oh my God, theater can do this. And I, so I'm like you, same thing. Like, it doesn't matter what the show is. Like if it's like, I see company and like they sing being alive at the end. And I'm just like, that is what life is like. Sondheim gets me. It's like, oh. yeah. yeah. Every <laughs> yeah. single time. Every time. Every time. And I, I think uh, it's funny to me how like there will, there will be scenes where I don't, you know, you're not necessarily supposed to be like bawling your eyes out, but I, I do because I'm just like, I, you know, in Sweeney Todd, it's kind of like uh, Mrs. Lovett is, is singing about her meat pies. And I'm just like, I love this so much. (laughs) Just crying. It's just making a whole fool of myself, but it's, it, it really is just such a huge part of, of, like who I am as a person mm-hmm. and which is, which is, it's one of those things where just as a young black girl, there were a lot of people saying you don't really belong in this space. There's mm-hmm. not really kind of a, a space for you here, but I feel so connected to it. How can there not be a space mm-hmm. for me? Well, I saw the whiz and I felt like, Oh, there's people here who can do who like me, who can mm-hmm. do this. And so it, you know, it, it, Audra McDonald and Stephanie Mills and Virginia Capers and Pearl Bailey and all of these people who just Ethel Waters. It's like uh-huh. there's you kind of opening this door or you know kind of peeking behind this curtain, if you will, to kind of say there there's a place mm-hmm. for you here. And I love I love theater because it feels very much like 
you like, you know, there's, there can be a place for mm-hmm. you. There's a place for us. Like, you know, yeah. there, there can be, there's a place there. And so it, it's a very kind of, um, it's a special thing. Actually, speaking of the Wiz, uh, a, a true story. One of my best friends I met in college, her name is Candace. She's an African-American. Like we became friends my freshman year of college because she was hanging out on our floor with somebody. And I was like, I had my room door open and I was listening to Ease On Down the Road and she poked her head in and she goes, <laughs> I did not expect to see a white boy in here. And I was like, yeah. I was like we didn't know each other yet. I was like, hi. She's like, I'm Candace. <laughs> like she came in and I was, she's like, how do you know the Wiz? And I was like, I don't know. I just saw it. I saw it on TV. My parents put it on one day and we became friends because of the Wiz. And like we stayed friends. <laughs> But like the thing that made us friends was her walking into my room and being like, why are you listening to the whiz right now? Like, what is going on in here? Yes. <laughs> I love that. I love yeah, that. It was, oh, it's such a good show. Um, I want to get into a little bit of like, how do you think your love of musical theater, you kind of referenced it a little bit, but like, how do you think it shows up in your writing now? Like, how do you think it affects the way that you tell your stories? Because I didn't really have an opportunity to see a lot of these shows live, you know, for me in the beginning, it was a lot more like listening to soundtracks all mm-hmm. the time. And so in my mind, I was kind of having to visualize and kind of think about what this looks like and what does this, you know, feel like. And then having just these experiences where I got to be in the theater as a young person, um, seeing Sweeney Todd, seeing Rent, kind of knowing what the setup was and thinking about it. I use that even now today in my writing. I feel like it really informs my writing quite a bit because I see almost everything I write as like a stage production. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a very kind of visual person. I need to be able to kind of see it and think about where things are and what people are doing and all of that in my mind, that's how I see it. Um, I see it like a like a theater production. There's that element. And then there's also, you know, musicals pop up, you know, in my contemporary work yeah. all the time. I just, I can't help it. Like it's a, it's a problem. Like I just keep kind <laughs> of referencing, you know, these, these musicals and it's kind of, I, I'm thinking about like, you know, uh, with, my novel, This Poison Heart, it's like they listen to the Hamilton soundtrack on their way up to upstate New York. And mm-hmm. in The Vanquishers, which is my middle grade thing that's coming out, it's like my main character's dad loves show tunes. And this, it, it, you know, it's this reoccurring theme just because it's something I love so, 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 so much. And I have um, I have a short story in an anthology uh, called Cool Awkward Black. That's the anthology. And it's about these spaces, this anthology mm-hmm. uh, put together by Karen Strong. It's about, it are, they are short stories about things that you can kind of geek out over that mm-hmm. haven't always been safe spaces for Black people. And I have a story about a girl who loves musical theater, who yeah. sees The Wiz in it with the original cast, with Stephanie mm-hmm. Mills playing Dorothy. And it changes, it changes her, like mm-hmm. fundamentally who she is as a person. And so it, it's a recurring theme for me. I think it always will be. And so it informs how I write, but it also informs what I write. And it mm-hmm. just, you know, it's just so much a part of, of who I am. It just cannot help but kind of show up in in everything I do. Yeah. You've mentioned Sweeney Todd a couple of times now. Was that, <laughs> was that the first production you saw it was that's insane which 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 really kind of 
explains a lot about who I am as a person. (laughs) Oh, man. Yes. And, and I don't know what my mother was thinking, honestly, I'm trying to think if I know if she had seen it herself. I I don't know for sure if she had seen it herself first. I want to say yes, but she took eight year old me to go see this at, in, in Anchorage. And I was like, what is this? (laughs) <laughs> like I'm just trying to picture like if she didn't know what Sweeney Todd is like the first like the first notes of it are like jarring and horrifying yes. like it's instant. yes yes and it's this you know a ten tale of Sweeney Todd I yeah. remember just hearing this and being like a little scared and mm-hmm. a little like what are we doing why is this and then i remember very specifically the the scenes where there is supposed to be all of this blood and uh-huh. you know they, it was these red streamers right. that were kind of they had this prop and these red streamers were coming out and i just that that image is kind of like burned into my mind so like i said that says a lot about me as a person i love scary things i yeah. love musical there it's it's like the perfect kind of combination of those oh yeah <laughs> I was just I had that like when you mentioned it a couple of times because like, I've also I've seen it as well and I yeah I feel like I've listened I feel like I've listened to every Sondheim thing a million times but that especially and I was just like you said it so many times I was like I wonder if that was the first thing she ever saw because that's like <laughs> I'm trying to come I don't know I just imagine I'm trying to imagine you like young Kaylin Bayer I mean like I saw this first and then every yes. day after that you're like well that wasn't like the first like rent wasn't like that like right right and I and and so for me it was it was Sweeney Todd and then it was and then it was rent yeah and then it was first seeing Sweeney Todd and then seeing rent and being like that's very different like uh-huh. I thought somebody was gonna get sliced up I thought there was gonna be you know I thought everybody mm-hmm. it was gonna be this drama and everything but yeah it, it's yeah I I'm thinking about I'm thinking back on it now and I'm just like yeah maybe good job mom maybe yeah. not you know maybe don't take your eight-year-old to that show but whatever <laughs> yeah I your mom taking you to Sweeney Todd like I get it because one of the first things that my parents like introduced our family to was they we would listen to the rock opera Tommy's like the like the Tom Tommy by the who right and I remember like asking them like what is this about and they'd be like it's about <laughs> pinball it's about pinball and then like I saw it on tv and it's just this like drug riddled thing and I was like hey mom hey dad <laughs> what the hell is this you want to explain this to me yeah. because I thought it was something else yeah. Exactly, yeah yeah so I so no judgment on parents they're just trying to do their best um, yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned kind of your work and some of the upcoming, I want to, well, I want to sort of transition to like kind of letting you talk about, cause you have a book coming out in June and then September as well, right? Yeah. So this wicked fate is the follow-up to my previous novel, this poison heart. And mm-hmm. it follows a young girl, Briseis green and her family. And it is, I like to describe it again, musical theater reference here. I like to describe it as little shop of horrors meets the secret garden with a Greek mythology twist. The first book is really a good setup But it's this queer normative story about this young Black girl from Brooklyn who moves to upstate New York with her moms, and they discover this big creepy house and a walled garden filled with the deadliest plants on the planet, Mm. and they uncover her family's very ancient lineage that is linked with some very famous Greek gods. And in book two, we really, we see Briseis go on this hero's journey. She is trying to unravel this mystery of her family. Uh, She's trying to save her mom, who was 
being held in the underworld by the goddess Hecate. It is really one of these stories that I wrote and I was just like, this is, you know, a story that I think is great to have in conversation with all of these books. There's been a lot of a lot of book bans lately. Yeah. And um, but this is another story with a queer girl and a queer family where they just get to be who they are. They just get to have this adventure, go on this quest, try to, you know, right these wrongs. And that is what this story is about. It's a YA contemporary fantasy comes out due June 21st. Mm -hmm. And I'm incredibly excited about it. And then after that, the Vanquishers comes out in September, comes out September 20th. So it's a middle grade. It's my Mm -hmm. first middle grade. And it is a vampire story. It takes place in San Antonio in a kind of alternate future San Antonio Mm -hmm. where vampires are known to have existed. And they were wiped out by a masked group of slayers called the Vanquishers. And and things have been pretty quiet since this big event called the Reaping, which takes place 20 years before the events of the Vanquishers. And my main character, Boog, her name is Malika Boog Wilson, and her friends are kind of trying to navigate this world where people are learning to kind of let their guard down after all of the vampires have been wiped out. And then and then her new friend Aaron goes missing after um, a night at the skating rink. Hijinks ensue and shenanigans ensue. So um, that comes out in September. I am very, very, very excited about that because like I said, I love all things scary and vampires and paranormal so this is I was going to say it's hilarious that like so for people who first off if people haven't read this Poison Heart they need to it's so freaking good and Cinderella's <laughs> dead like they need to do everything you do but I was laughing <laughs> when you're introducing it because you're like it's a vampire book and this one's middle grade so like what made you go I don't want to say step down this because that's not what I mean but like go younger for the seemingly scarier book there are so so there are so many authors who are moving into adult uh, YA authors who are moving into adult I, I love that. Like I wanna I wanna scare adults, but I'm I'm trying to scare your kids, man. I'm trying to scare <laughs> I'm trying to scare your middle schoolers. Like I want them to have like these I was so obsessed with vampire books when I was younger, but I was always reading like adult books because there weren't really like younger mm-hmm. books for younger readers that had lots of vampires. So I was reading like Anne Rice, you know, <laughs> in middle school, which Incredible. you know it's yeah, that's a lot. That also probably explains some things about me. But yeah, I wanted to go younger. I wanted to go younger. And I love the middle grade space. It is so much fun. I would say it's even a little more challenging than writing YA just because, yeah. you know, it's like it's a new set of readers and, and they have different kind of language. And um, I just I respect my young readers so much, but I want I want to scare them. I want yeah. to give them a little a little taste of something scary. So yeah. Well, and does it feel like you have to, because I've talked to a few people who have done like middle grade, YA and adult, like, does it feel like when you were writing for middle grade that you kind of have to like get into things more quickly or like what felt different from a writing standpoint? Yeah, I feel like that attention span, you want to kind of grab them and pull them in faster. I think there's a little more patience maybe in YA to kind of have things kind of develop and play out. But Mm -hmm. in middle grade, it's like, we got to, we got to get to the point. Middle schoolers have, and I have kids. And so my middle schooler is, you know, it's kind of like I'm talking to him and I'm like, would y'all say this? Does this sound right to you? You know, because you want to get the, you want to get the language right. You want to get the kind of feelings right. It's just, it's very different and challenging. 
I do think that you have to kind of get into things quicker and the pace. You have mm-hmm. to pick up the pace. You're doing a lot with a shorter, a shorter story because middle grade tends to be shorter than YA. And so, yeah, you have to like get to the point and stay on the point and uh-huh. keep them engaged. It's just so much fun. It's just yeah. so much fun. I, you know what I was thinking uh, while we were like, while you're talking about middle grade, somehow this came up to me. I don't know if you read the Goosebumps books as a kid. Oh, yeah. But- Okay, yeah, so I, I did too. I was obsessed with them. There was a Phantom of the Opera Goosebumps book. I'm literally, I'm looking it up as we as we talk. So it was um, Phantom of the Auditorium, okay. which just absolute, like, and if I, remember, if I remember correctly, just an absolute blatant ripoff. Like, I think even the cover <laughs> yeah. is like the half mask. Okay. But like, it literally was, there is, I mean, this is, it's literally like, the cover I'll I'll show it to you after you stop recording but it's like literally a person with a mask and a cape in front okay. of an auditorium like it couldn't be more like R.L. Stein was just mailing it and he's like I just got to get another book out there and it's like literally yeah I didn't need an excuse to like go back and read more goosebumps but now I have one so I know yeah, I, yeah. I love that <laughs> all right couple more questions for you one what is the best performance you've ever seen Oh my gosh, that's a really good question. I think, okay, I'm going to get his name wrong, so I'm going to Google it. But there is a production of Sweeney Todd done. So it wasn't like a full-on stage production. It was filmed for television. And it Mm -hmm. had the guy who was playing Sweeney Todd. I got it right here. His name was, let's see. Okay, so it was live from the Lincoln Center. Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber of Fleet Street. Mm -hmm. And it has Bryn Turfel. Is that Mm -hmm. his name? Yes. He is a fabulous Sweeney Todd. His voice is so resonant and it's perfect and it's scary. And I watched it for the first time and it has Emma, what's her name? Emma Thompson, Thompson. I think. Audra Audra McDonald is, is in it. Emma Thompson plays Mrs. Lovett. Yeah, that that production specifically, it's so well done. It's not like a full on, it's more like concert setting. Mm -hmm. There's some stage production, but it's not it's not like a full on thing. And uh, but but it but it has all the songs and it has it. It was was brilliant. And he Mm -hmm. I love him in that role. And I saw that and gave me like goosebumps. It was it was one of the best performances of Sweeney that I've that I've seen. That's awesome. I feel like I find myself remembering almost more singular songs in productions than I do almost like the whole thing. Like I remember the first time I ever saw, have you ever seen Something Rotten? I haven't. I haven't seen that one. No. So for, for people listening, no. something, something Rotten is like, um, it's during the Renaissance and it's like this other playwright who is living in the same time as Shakespeare, but he's not as talented as Shakespeare. And like Shakespeare's kind of a dick. <laughs> he's super like cocky and pompous. And this guy creates this musical called Omelette. <laughs> And that's how that's what it becomes Hamlet. That's what Shakespeare steals and becomes Hamlet. But there's a song in the middle of it by like this soothsayer, and it's called It's a Musical. And like he is explaining the concept of musicals to this main character. And he's like, Wait, you mean that they're just gonna start singing out of nowhere? And he's like, Yep, absolutely. He's like, Does it advance the plot? He's like, Not usually. And like, it's just like this whole concept of explaining what a musical is. And it's like a seven minute song that references like 43 different musicals. And it's so funny and so memorable. So there was that. And then the, like the other like best song I can ever remember is Master of the House from Les Mis. They did a version of it here in Cleveland. The whole production killed it and it was just like i can't believe they're gonna do the rest of the show like don't even bother it just was like so perfect but 
I think I almost remember songs more than I remember like. I think, um, and I've seen a recording. I didn't see it live, and I'm gonna. I don't want to butcher her name, but her name is Will Willem Willem Verkike is her last name. She plays Elphaba, and her farewell performance of Defying Gravity yeah. is probably probably the best thing I've ever heard. Like when it comes to just like a single song, I think, I mean, maybe a very close second or maybe like co-first place is Renee Elise Goldsberry's uh, Satisfied. I mean, anytime she's singing, but you know, specifically that. And I, you know, I saw Hamilton when it came out on Disney Plus. I haven't Mm -hmm. seen that live either. But yeah, I think those two for me are like the top like single song performances that I've ever seen ever all right so i am ending every one of these episodes by having the author i'm talking to give a recommendation for it could be food it could be books it could be music you can do a musical if you want i will let you kind of the floor (laughs) is yours whatever you want to kind of recommend to people (laughs) i so i would encourage everyone everywhere to read the changeling by victor laval that is one of my favorite books ever and I would encourage everyone to to see Wicked. If you haven't seen it live, you got to go see it. And I love the musical theater. I love everything about musical theater. But Wicked just really has a, a special place for me. Mm-hmm. So I, those are my two recommendations. Like yeah. The Changeling by Victor LaValle. And go see Wicked. Go see, go see Hades Town. Try not to cry. Try not to cry. But good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's perfect. Kaylin, thank you so much for joining me today. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Passions and Prologues is proud to be an evergreen podcast and was created by Adam Sokol. It was produced by Adam Sokol and Sean Rule Hoffman. And if you are interested in this podcast and any other evergreen podcast, you can go to evergreenpodcast.com to discover all the different stories we have to tell. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. 
I'll also be sharing Business Bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.